0: Welcome, everyone, to the Squared Circle Theater of the Mind. I am your host, the Southpaw Outlaw, the Maestro Mojo, and the Mayor of the Mojo Nation, the man who is dynamite on the mic. That is right. I am TNT on the MIC, the Dean of the College of Pop Culture Knowledge, Mr. Joseph C. to Shining C. Harris. But you can call me Joey. This is the place to discuss professional wrestling. And yes, we do say pro wrestling here. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Henry, and his lordship, Lord Alfred Drake. They're over in the corner looking things on and may barge in from time to time, interrupt, interlude, whatever they do. They may do it from time to time. If they see something or hear something that they would like to comment on. Usually they just look though, I will say that. Usually they just look. Today we look at two events that helped shape what wrestling was to be in the 1980s. Our first event, Starrcade 1984. The second event, to use the Starrcade name, the big event, going to these super shows now using the new technology of the time, closed circuit television. New to wrestling fans had not been used that often before then. So, November the 22nd, 1984, again, Thanksgiving, always a big time in the realm of professional wrestling. A lot of big companies and small companies, for that matter, had a big show on Thanksgiving. It's a way to make a little money during the holiday season, Christmas and Thanksgiving, both big Show nice. We are coming again from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, with an attendance of 16,000 people and many more watching at several closed circuit locations all across the country, particularly in the South. North Carolina is the center of the Jim Crockett Promotions, Virginia and North and South Carolina territories. They created Starcade in 1983 as their supercar to continue Thanksgiving tradition, bringing in wrestlers from other NWA affiliates and broadcasting the show, its territory, on closed-circuit television. Starcade would soon become the flagship event of the year for Jim Crockett promotions later World Championship Wrestling, WCW, their Super Bowl event, featuring the most important storyline fused and championship matches. The nineteen eighty four event, the second show to use the Starkade name as we mentioned before, and featuring a number of championship matches in the first match we see, and all of this is available on the WWE network, if you have that or are able to get it, Denny Brown defeated Mike Davis to win a singles match for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion in a match that really elevated Denny Brown. I mean, he used this and used himself as the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion for a long time. The match comes in at 5 minutes and 38 seconds. After that, Brian Adias defeated Mr. Ito in a singles match in four minutes. Jesse Barr, the champion, defeated Mike Graham in a singles match for the NWA Florida heavyweight champion. Mike Graham, the fantastic Graham family, long-time mainstays of the Florida wrestling scene. And Jesse Barr would go on to become Jimmy Jack Funk in the WWF in just about 18 months from this. Maybe the time is a little off, but in, in sometime later, he would become Jimmy Jack Funk. But he defeated Mike Graham. He was the NWA Florida heavyweight champion at the time, Jesse Barr was in a match that's good, but not what really I thought it was going to be. The time on the match, 11 minutes, 43 seconds. The next, an elimination match, which if you've ever seen seen any of the Survivor Series matches, that's what this was. Assassin number one and Buzz Tyler defeated the Zambui Express. Elijah, Hakeem, and Kareem Muhammad with Paul Jones. In a match that goes 5 minutes and 26 seconds, Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull, defeated Black Bart with James J. Dillon in a singles match for the NWA Brass Knuckles Championship, which is basically they had a street fight. There were no Brass Knuckles involved. They both had tape though, but a lot of times when you would hear Brass Knuckles Championship, that was more of a hardcore street fight, no-rules-allowed match. That's what being the Brass Knucks champion meant. So they just really had a street fight, Manny Fernandez pulling it out to win in 7 minutes and 35 seconds. And then Paul Jones is back. He was in the manager of the fourth match, and then he's in the sixth match, continuing his years-long feud, folks, With Jimmy Valiant, Paul Jones defeated Jimmy Valiant in a tuxedo, street fight, loser leaves town match. There's a lot of things going on in that match. There's three stipulations in one, a tuxedo uh, match, a street fight, and a loser leaves town match. Match goes about four minutes and 35 seconds with Paul Jones defeating Jimmy the Boogie Man Valiant. And then a singles match for the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. At one point, the championship for the Mid-Atlantic Promotions, Jim Crockett Promotions. Ron Bass here with J.J. Dillon. Defeated Dick Slater by disqualification in 9 minutes and 12 seconds. And then Ivan and Nikita Koloff. Nikita Koloff only in the distance for a few months. At At this point, defeated Ole Anderson, and Keith Larson with Don Kernodal. Don Kernodal had been aligned with the Russians, and they had turned on him, and so now they have his uh, brother, Keith Larson, um, who many fans remember as Rocky Kernodle, uh, teaming with Ole Anderson to go up against Ivan and Nikita, who then defeat Ole Anderson and Keith Larson. But it's strange here to see Ole being cheered, but if he's going against the dastardly Russians, then, of course, he's going to be cheered. And at the end, Don Cronotto comes on. He is injured here, but he comes in with his crutch and clears out, so everyone can go happy from that. Tully Blanchard in the next match as the champion defeats Ricky Steamboat. They have both in kayfabe put up $10,000 of their own money um, in a singles match also for the World's Television Championship. Uh, Match goes 13 minutes, 17 seconds. Tully Blanchard defeated Ricky Steamboat, who even in interviews here on the broadcast itself, if you see it on the network, it's still in there, Uh, Ricky Seambo voices his displeasure at the powers that be in Jim Crockett promotions that he was not put in line for to be the U.S. champion. And Ricky is on his way out here. In four months, he will be participating in what our next event that we're going to talk about next is. That is the first WrestleMania. But Tully Blanchard wins here. 13 minutes, 17 seconds, and a really, really different type of match, I would say, for both people. And then the number two belt in the promotion at the time, the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship, Wahoo McDaniel, the champion, defeated superstar Billy Graham, who was in his uh, black uniform-wearing kung fu karate face. Here, but he loses to Wahoo McDaniel. When Wahoo gives him the big tomahawk chop, time on the match, 4 minutes, 18 seconds. Wahoo McDaniel, your winner, and still the NWA United States Heavyweight Champion. In our main event for the night, a single match for the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the Million Dollar Challenge, Smoking Joe Frazier, with special guest referee, the champion Ric Flair going against Dusty Rose. Now, I'm going to pull up, and I would suggest and fully support and recommend this site, 411 Mania, um, and bring in their review of this match. And I'm just going to read this. Review. From 411 Media for Starrcade 84 was, let me just give the, uh, from Matt Petticord in May 7th, 2010. He reviewed Starcade 84, the Million Dollar Challenge. So this comes from Matt Petticord. All attribution goes to him. Special guest referee, again, smoking Joe Frazier. NASCAR driver Kyle Petty is guest judge for this match in case it happens to go 60 Minutes. This is a million dollar challenge. It's like who wants to be a millionaire, but you got to wrestle for it. Dusty hits a bunch of elbows and works a headlock until Rick goes low and fights back with chops. Rolling knee drop from Flair gets two. Flair tries another one, but Dusty rolls out of the wheat out of the way and quickly applies the figure four. Flair makes the ropes, but Dusty stays out the leg. Flair makes Rick Dusty's face, but the comeback is cut short with a press slam. Dusty sends Flair in the corner for the Flair flip, which sends him down to the concrete floor. Dusty wants to suplex Flair back in, but Frazier gets in the way and screws up the execution for two. Flair hits a back elbow and heads up top, but Dusty slams him off. Flair reverses a whip and grabs the sleeper, but Dusty dumps him out onto the floor. Dusty follows him out for a slugfest, but then Flair shoves him off into the ring post to bust him open. Oh boy. Back in, Frazier holds off Flair so he can check on Dusty's condition, but he gets shoved away. Flair works the cut like a man possessed until Frazier calls for the bell due to the blood running down Dusty's face. In 12 minutes and 10 seconds, due to referee stoppage, your winner is Rick Flair. Flair regains the bell and wins the million dollars. Dusty wants to go a few rounds with Frazier. That guy is long gone now. Never really got going, but I think that was kind of the point. So he gives it a star and a quarter. This is the second part of what I like to call the trilogy of Starcade matches and events for Dusty. It would conclude in what is coming up in a few weeks' time. Starcade eighty five and we will discuss that on another show. But this was an okay finish. It kept this thing going. Starcade eighty three, all about a flair for the goal. Flair regains the NWA championship in steel cage against Harley Race. Dusty Rhodes is not wrestling but it's all over. Starcade eighty three saying he wanted to challenge the winter ugh, the winner, excuse me. He wanted to challenge the winner as of the match. So, they go to then this. They have the big match each in case they put up half a million dollars, so it's a huge purse. And, also the championship on the line, you have the special guest referee, Dusty gives gives it his all, but, the match is stopped. Flair gets to keep the title. Doesn't look bad. Dusty, look is looked at as the contender who almost got the title and only due to the rough stoppage was he able to not be champion but he still looks strong. So they're going to the what I consider the blow off, which would be Starcade eighty five, which we will discuss again at another time, and a misstep that I think Dusty took in doing that. But let's change gears a little bit, set the Wayback Machine for about four months into the future, and also give you just a little bit of history from the WWE, which is, of course, the World Wrestling Federation, or the WWF then. The WWF, Vince McMahon was starting his national expansion. He had done that started in 83, had taken a lot of the big stars from different places, had taken Mean Gene, Wendy Richter, and Hulk Hogan, and Jesse Ventura, and Bobby Heenan, and so many others from the NWA. Also, um, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine from the NWA, and now Ricky Steamboat is coming up. At the same time, he bought up and bought into Georgia Championship Wrestling. And so Vince McMahon had WWF Wrestling on Superstation TBS for a while. It was a um, day in wrestling known as Black Saturday when instead of Georgia Championship Wrestling, you see the WWF on a Saturday on TBS. Now, there's ins and outs and henceforth and do-with and Everything has been under the bridge and written about that. If you want to look it up, there's a lot of fascinating articles online and in books that you can look at into your heart's content. But two things that come out of this one, McMahon's style of wrestling is what it is, but it was not what the wrestling fans in the South, which was Ted Turner's primarily viewership base. they wanted their Southern Wrestling when they turned on TBS. McMahon was not able to give him that. Also, for a while there, he was not even showing a studio show, which is what Ted Turner wanted. They did eventually start taping a studio show, but it was too little, too late. Um, Championship Wrestling from Georgia... Ole Anderson's group comes in, starts to also tape at TBS. Then Bill Watts gets Mid South Wrestling a spot on TBS. TBS is showing a lot of wrestling. McMahon's ratings are not doing great on TBS. Jim Barnett, who is working for him at the time, to arrange a deal, and he sells his time slot on TBS. Jim Crockett for $1 million, a million dollars that Vince McMahon desperately needed at the time. He probably still could have done everything without that million dollars, but it certainly helped him sleep a little bit better at night, I'm thinking, because he had WrestleMania. He was in WrestleMania season and the first TBS show, I believe, that when Jim Crockett takes over the Georgia time slot is March the 30th, 1985. Of course, the next day, March 31st, 1985, WrestleMania One takes place. McMahon gambled everything on this show. He and his wife put up everything that they had, cars, houses, and all that. And then, thanks to it being a success, and the influx of a million dollars, they're looking pretty good in their takeover of pro wrestling going forward. And it helps them launch Saturday night's main event, which we will talk about next time on the Squared Circle Theater of the Mind. But let's talk a little bit about the first WrestleMania WrestleMania 1, or just WrestleMania. Tagline, the greatest wrestling event of all time. The theme was Easy Lover by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins from the World Wrestling Federation. Date, March 31, 1985. Attendance, 19,121 at Madison Square Garden in New York City, New York. Shown, this event was seen by over a million viewers through closed-circuit television, making it the largest showing of an event on closed-circuit television in the United States time. For the first wrestling, the Vince McMahon began cross-promoting with MTV, which aired two wrestling specials. The first was The Brawl to End It All on July 23, 84, in which a match from July Madison Square Garden broadcast was shown on MTV. Wendy Richter defeated the fabulous Moolah to win the WWF Women's Championship card with Cindy Lauper on her side. As a war, she settled the score, which aired on February 18, 85, Leilani Kydn accompanied by Mula, defeated Richter, again accompanied by Lauper. Lauper? Lauper? What happened to me? Cindy Lauper to win the Women's Championship. Aside from Lauper, other celebrities who appeared in the buildings to and at the event, most notably Muhammad Ali, Liberace, and Major League Baseball manager Billy Martin all appeared during the main event. So let's talk about the event, your commentators, who commentated the first six WrestleManias, although they were not commentating at the same location for WrestleMania Two, Gorilla Monsoon, and of course, The Governor Jesse, The Body Ventura, Monsoon later said in a video that Ventura was so nervous. Jesse was so nervous about the event, that he literally had to hold him up, hold the back of his suit up because he was so nervous for that. But he told him, hey, let's just go out. Let's have fun. Let's calm down. We will just call it as we see it, which is a very good advice, folks. Gino Klein opened the event by singing Star Spangled Banner, which now at WrestleMania they sing "America." Beautiful, so I believe this is the only one that they opened the event by seeing the star Spangled Banner, was Gene Oakland. The first match was between Tito Santana and the Mass Executioner, who was Buddy Rose on the match. Santana won the match after applying the figure-four leg lock on the Executioner. King Kong Bundy and Special Delivery Jones were next after crushing his opponent against the turnbuckle and landing on him stomach first, Bundy pinned Jones. The WWF's official time for the match was a ten record time of nine seconds, although the match actually lasted closer to about 27 or 28 seconds if you just time it out uh, from that. It was still a quick just just squash match in order to get... King Kong Monday, who was then accompanied and managed by Jimmy Hart over. So it appeared to to do that quite well. The next match was, again, now Ricky Steamboat and Matt Bourne. Ricky Steamboat fresh from the NWA. Steamboat takes an early advantage in the match uh, until Bourne flipped him over and slammed him to the mat using the belly belly suplex. He performs a flying crossbody and steamboat pinned, born for the win. Then David San Martino and Brutus Beefcake wrestle David, accompanied by his father, the living legend Bruno San Martino, and Brutus Beefcake, accompanied by Johnny Valiant. The action. Favorite both contestants as each wrestler's alternated to having the advantage. Beefcake throws San Martino out of the ring. Valiant lifted him up and slammed him to the floor. He then pushed San Martino back into the ring before being attacked by Bruno. All four began fighting in the ring, and the match ended up a no contest. The next match was the championship title defense of the Intercontinental title, between Junkyard Dog and the reigning Intercontinental Champion, Greg the Hammer Valentine, accompanied to the ring by his manager, Jimmy Hart. Junkyard Dog begins the match in an offensive position, performing headbutts and punches. Then it goes back and forth. Valentine pinned Junkyard Dog with feet on the rope for leverage, which is an illegal maneuver. Tito Santana then runs down to the ring and is playing to referee. What had happened? The match was restarted. Junkyard Dog eventually won the match by countout as Valentine appeared to, failed to re enter the ring, but titles do not change hands on a countout. The following match was for the tag team championship. Nikolai Volkov from the Iron Sheep with classy Freddie Blassie challenged the reigning champions, the U.S. Express, Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham, accompanied by Lou Albano, of U.S. Express, dominated the early part uh, of the match, began to uh, gain an, an offensive advantage over Rotundo. Rotundo tagged into Wyndham, who performed the Bulldog on the Sheep. Sheep nearly pinned. the Sheep hit Wyndham in the head with his cane as the referee had his back turned. Volkoff got the pin. Valentine and Sheep were crowned the new tag team champions. The next match on the card was a $15,000 Body slam match, Andre the Giant versus Big John Studd with Bobby Heenan. They go back and forth. Stud gives a little bit of offense, but not much. At the beginning of the match, in the defensive position, Andre countered with chops and a headbutt. Andre controlled the match, and after weakening Studd's knees with multiple kicks, Andre was able to lift Stud over his shoulders and execute a body slam for the win. Andre collected his prize money. He started throwing the money out to the audience. Bobby Heenan, however, grabbed the money, grabbed the bag, holding the remainder of the wings and ran from ringside. Andre was able to continue his career, and his undefeated streak was unscathed. Next was time for the WWF Women's Championship match between Wendy Richter and Leilani Kai. Kai performed a flying crossbody from the top rope after the match had gone on for a few minutes but Richter used Kai's momentum to roll up Kai pin position. With this pin, Richter became the new women's champion. The main event and last event of the night pitted Hulk Hogan, the reigning world's heavyweight champion, and Mr. T, accompanied by Jimmy Snuka against Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful, Paul Wondroff, accompanied by Cowboy Bob Orton. Professional boxer Muhammad Ali was the special guest referee on the outside of the ring. New York Yankees manager Billy Martin was the guest ring announcer, while Liberace, accompanied by the Rockets, was the guest timekeeper. First, Piper, Orndorff, and Orton made their way to the ring as drums and bagpipe played, causing the crowd to boo. Then, Hogan, Mr. T, and Snuka made their way to the ring next. The match began with Mr. T and Piper in the ring and the two training blows. Midway through the match, all four men began brawling in the ring. Muhammad Ali punched Piper in an attempt to restore order. After the match's order was restored, Orndorff and Piper had the offensive advantage. As Orndorff locked Hogan into a full Nelson, Orton climbed the top rope in an attempt to knock out Hogan. Instead, Orton mistakenly hit Orndorff, and Hogan pinned him to win the match. In frustration, Piper knocked out in-ring of official Pat Patterson before he and Orton retreated back safe, leaving Orndorf alone in the ring with Hogan, Mr. T, and Snooker. Attendance to the event, again, 19,121. seen by over a million in closed circuit. So, the match, the event itself was not the greatest. However, it was a money maker and gave to WWF's much needed momentum in trying to do a takeover of the country. And it was coming, and there was nobody that could stop it. Vince McMahon was and is a very big marketing genius, and all attempts, or at least most attempts, to stop him fail and so he solidified his mantle as the top of the wrestling game from here and there wasn't that many times where he was stumbled off there was a few and we'll talk about those but he's looking good going into 1985 and evil he, he will continue that mark with the first saturday night's main event which we will talk about next time and in the in the meantime and in the in between time if i can talk you can always reach me the email here squared circle theater at gmail.com you can reach me personally at z Joey Harris on instagram twitter and facebook until next time folks when we look at some saturday nights main events the pleasure was all yours